Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back. I'm your host, Christine Reeve, and if you're listening to this around the time that it was recorded in March 2020, then you probably feel much like I do. This week has been the longest week of my life. It's been the longest year of my life. And this month feels like it will never end. It's amazing that just last week in episode 30, I was talking about how to prepare your students for leaving school, and I was even talking about how to have them come back to school. And now it seems like they may not be going back to school, or it won't be until May or possibly June. So, and many of you never even got to see your students before they left school. So there's just so many things going on, and it changes every day. For those of you who aren't listening at that time, uh, to give you some context, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and schools are primarily closed and we're trying to figure out how to provide services to our students at that time. Um, and I definitely do not claim to have all the answers. Um, I actually sometimes have more questions than I do answers, <laughs> but there are a couple things that I can tell you uh, are, re- are universal at this point in time. And then I've got some strategies I'm going to share. Confusion and concern and uncertainty, I think, are probably things that are pretty universal. Uh, Probably a smidgen of frustration because we don't know a lot of things. And so I think that's another piece of it. Uh, Confusion because every district and every state is dealing with this educational situation differently. Some are going to online instruction. Some are sending home packets of work. Some are not providing instruction at all. Um, We don't know how long we're going to be out. We don't know whether days will have to be made up. We are struggling with how to provide services to students with significant disabilities who can't easily access online instruction. Um, So there's a lot of confusion. It's not just you or your district. There's also a lot of concern. Obviously, there's concern from the virus, but there's also huge concern for your students. And I've heard over and over from teachers these last two weeks that they are concerned about both the physical and the educational well-being of their students. It is so very clear to me how dedicated our teachers are and how attached we are to our students. Um, And our teachers are concerned about how they're going to provide the type of instruction that their students receive in their classrooms. For students who can do paper and pencil tasks or work on online activities and have access, it might be an easier conversation. But for those who are working with students who are just learning to sit in a chair, who have difficulty attending for any period of time, who are in situations where we don't know that we've got a good facilitator, those are students that it's really hard to picture an online version of their education. So if any of that describes you, I want you to know that above all, you are not alone. 
And I want you to know that you can do this. I've taught online at universities for years and years, and it isn't as intimidating as people really seem. And you can really learn to get to know and interact with people in an online forum. Now, obviously, if you don't have access to online, things are a little different. And let's face it, I have never seen a group of people who can pivot and try to brainstorm how to help others more than teachers, more than educators. It's not just the teachers. Society has essentially said, we have no idea what to do with this. And teachers just keep saying, let's try this. So in this episode, I thought I would address some of these issues. I want to talk about some of the issues that we're facing and confronting and make the things that are making all of this really difficult. And I want to try to clarify a bit what the barriers are so that we can know what our problems are so we know how to tackle them. And then I'm going to share some strategies that may be helpful to get you started on remote learning in whatever form it exists in in your district. So let's get started. So let's start with the three main options that districts seem to be adopting to send work to students. Now, some districts are choosing not to send work home or have students enrolled in programs. Sometimes this seems to be because they've just closed for the school year and they've made arrangements not to worry about it. Others, it may be because if they offer services in the form of online or distance learning to gen ed students, then they're required to provide those services with specialized services to students in special education. In addition, we have an issue with equal access. Part of that is equal access to internet access and computers, but part of that access involves having a facilitator who assists the student with the access. Access. Students in high school general ed classes, for instance, might be able to do this on their own, but a kindergartner or first grade, even without disabilities, would have a difficult time on their own managing an online program. And in this situation, these are families that did not choose to homeschool their child, so there may not be a facilitator available. If you were to enroll your child in a homeschool situation, with an online program, you would be required to have a facilitator there. And that may not be an option for some of your families now. Particularly for our students in special education who need explicit instruction, that reduces their access. If their parents are healthcare workers and can't be home with them, if their parents have multiple children who need attention and they also may be working, and so on. So there are a lot of reasons that districts may choose not to send work for replacing schoolwork home or to engage in any kind of instructional activities. It's not because they don't care. Now, mind you, there really is no way around this. This is a situation that we're in in the moment. It requires that we close schools in order to keep people safe and reduce the load on our healthcare system, but it's all very new for all of us, and it isn't something most districts are really necessarily prepared for. And because of that, it's going to take a bit to think it all through and to make good decisions. So if you're a teacher or a parent, try to be patient with your district. 
They likely are trying to figure out what the federal government and the state want them to do and how to best implement anything that needs to be done in their community. And that is not an easy job, which is one of the reasons that we've seen some districts start instruction and stop instruction for some of those reasons. Another option that districts have taken is sending home what I refer to as enrichment materials. These are materials that the students complete, they might be online or on paper, to keep them engaged in instruction. Typically, there isn't data or assessment completed with these activities, and no grades are given. There are things like the free packet that I put out last week, and I'll link in this blog post, of scavenger hunts and games for students to play with their parents They revolve around family activities, and in this case, they're designed to keep students engaged in language learning and interaction, which for a lot of the students that I've worked with, that's one of my big concerns. One of my biggest concerns is that for students with autism is that without that kind of interaction, they will regress in the skills that we've taught them. So enrichment materials that address those kinds of needs are things that I think are really important for our students. And again, it's still going to require a family member or a person who serves as a facilitator. And many, you know, that may not be available. So there are some online programs that you can share, we can share with families, many of which are being offered for free at this time, and that might help. So programs like Headsprout, which is a reading program that is fun for the student, but it's backed by a ton of behavioral research, are offering their platform for free. And there are lots of documents and blog posts circulating around for those programs. And if you are looking for them, feel free to let me know and I will hunt them down for you. You can also find them in our free Facebook group. And finally, the third option for work during this time is distance instruction. Instruction instead of enrichment would mean that it takes the place of school days, it includes accommodations and modifications have to be provided, and IEPs have to be followed. It also would mean that you have to assess the work and be able to give grades and monitor progress. Some districts are going to online or remote learning of some type. In some communities, they're providing families with hotspots and laptops, so they have access to online platforms. But remember that even with internet access, some students still may have limited access to a facilitator. And that may be tough for some of our students with severe disabilities or our early learners that were just working on sitting in a chair before we left school. So let me share a few thoughts about ways to create opportunities for different types of learning for students with disabilities. I think at this point, we know about options like Headsprout and other online platforms who are generously offering their platforms to schools to use for free. If you have students who can access the internet and you have access to a platform like that, then those are great options to include in your planning. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that this is where we are. There's nothing we can do about it. So your district is going to make a decision and then we have to make the best of it. And that's really all that we can do at this point is let's make the best of it and figure it out. So let me take just a few minutes to share a couple of resources as well. There are a ton of ideas out there. And if you're an educator, I encourage you to come join our Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. We have lots of educators sharing ideas and tools that can be used. 
In addition, it's also a really great time to come and join the Special Educator Academy. I've pivoted to pulling together resources and tools and distance learning training for staff. And I know that some of you may still be being paid or paras might be being paid. I've been contacted by a lot of schools that are paying their paras to go through professional development. So that might be an option for that. My free webinars are also an option for that. And I'll put that link in the blog post. The Academy has five classes and 50, more than 50 workshops that you can get started on a professional development program and you can, districts also can get a discount when they enroll a certain number. So there's district packages and you can find out more about all of these in the show notes and the blog post at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 31. So let's take a few minutes and just talk about considerations in planning instruction. These ideas actually just came from the beginning of a workshop that, or my thoughts as I was getting my thoughts together for a workshop in the Special Educator Academy. And it's about distance learning for students with disabilities. So I think it's important to recognize in this situation, which sets it apart from other online learning or distance learning situations, we need to choose activities that can be easily adapted to the home environment. Our families can't go out and find the things that they need to do a chemistry experiment, things like that. So we need activities that include materials that they have around their house. Now, the good news is for a lot of our students with significant disabilities, that's what they need to learn about anyway. That's what our language should be about anyway. For instance, choose a science project that uses materials that are common household items rather than ones that require specific chemicals. The free scavenger hunts that I'll link to in this post do that. They're designed to be focusing on language in the student's everyday environment. You could add an assessment piece to them by having parents record the student's response to you and share a video, send you the video. Um, So that would be one way of using them in an instructional capacity rather than an enrichment capacity. And I will probably create some more of those. I've got some more ideas for them. So if you are doing enrichment activities, then focus on those critical skills like language and communication for our students. Those are the skills that are going to be the hardest to recoup when we come back to school. If you send more than a day of work at a time, and I'm guessing that you will because that would make sense, um, then make sure that you're sending a lesson plan or calendar to help the family with pacing and knowing what you expect. In the home environment packet that's free in my resource library in my store, there's a link to a Google lesson calendar that you can edit and use as you need. It's not a lesson plan. It doesn't have objectives. It simply has activities to do every day. It's got some life skills activities on it. It's got the scavenger hunts. If you were just to send home the pack of scavenger hunts, families may not know to do one every day. They might think you want them to do it all at once. Um, So that would give you a start. So if you have access to online platforms or apps that provide instruction like TeachTown or the Unique Learning System, include them in your lessons as an activity so that the families can see how they fit in with the other work that you want them to do. For young students, so if we're talking about early childhood, make task schedules that include play activities and send them home. And again, choose activities that use materials that they'll probably have at home, find out from your families what they have at home, maybe send home play scripts, maybe give them tools for being able to um, 
do a certain type of pretend play where the student is following that script or make a video and let them use the video models. If you've got access to a video modeling site like Express Social, that might be another option. If you're doing instruction, then you need to have an assessment of some kind. So if what you're doing is actually instruction, you have to assess. One easy way is to have families use their phone, if that's a possibility, to video the family performing the task. Or if you're using video conferencing software like Zoom, then you can have you could have them do that task and you observe it, doing it that way. You can also look for activities that'll give you some kind of work product. So considering taking, in my resource library, there are stickers that you can put that are for work product designed for taking data. So they just ask what kind of prompts were they independent, that kind of thing. So you might look for activities that have paper and pencil outcomes like worksheets, and then you have the parents use those stickers to just record what kind of assistance they provided. You may make want to make a cheat sheet or a video of what the different levels of support look like, depending on how detailed you want to get. And if you're using something like the Unique or News to You or something like that, use the benchmark testing. So don't limit yourself. You know, in the classroom, we do a lot of observational data collection, but that's not necessarily going to be feasible in this situation. So consider doing testing instead. Tests don't have to be conventional paper and pencil tests. They could be, we've taught her this skill, let her demonstrate that for me. Um, demonstrate it on a video and take a video of it. So there's lots of different ways that you can do it. So just keep in mind that If we're going to do this, and it looks like many of us are, uh, whether we want to or not, then we need to really think outside the box. Um, Our students with disabilities are not going to fit in a box. They're not always going to fit into a pre-described curriculum. So we're going to have to really get creative. So brainstorm, share with others, get ideas from each other, and try to help figure out what might work. If you need more ideas, then reach out to the Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com. I'm trying to spend some time in there to help every day. Uh, If you're a member of the Special Educator Academy, reach out in the community or reach out to me. Um, We're all here to help. There are a lot of us out there that can help you, but mostly we can help each other and we can brainstorm ideas. So if I don't have all the answers, You don't have all the answers. None of us have all the answers, but we can do this if we put our minds together. So take a deep breath, let it go. Know that it's not going to be perfect, but we'll get through it. So stay healthy, stay happy. And I will be back next week with coping strategies for families and teachers and other educators. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, and I hope that I will see you again next week. 